this morning, I want us to just spend some time in, in the Word. So if you want to grab your Bibles, head over to the, cha- uh, the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. In chapter 19, we're going to jump into to a, a section of Scripture right here. Before we, we go into that, um, how many of you were Red Sox fans before 2004? We got a few of y'all. How many have definitely become Red Sox fan after 2004? Maybe a few more of you. All right, let me put it in a different way. How many of us like to, 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 to root for losers? Not really. How many of us like to back up winners? How many of us want to put our name, our, 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 our devotion, and our affection with those who are winning? I think that is most of us, if not all of us. You know, when, when the team, if you look at it from time to time, um, teams will, will have a base of fans that are just loyal fans. They're there every year, no matter what. And some teams, unfortunately, man, I feel bad for some sports fans because they got teams that never win. <laughs> and yet the loyal fan base is there all the time and they continue to, to persevere in rooting for their team. But isn't it funny how so many people will start coming out of the woodwork when the team starts winning, when they're now in the, in the running for the championship, when, people, when the team starts you know, turning around, all of a sudden the bandwagon fans start emerging, don't they? They start coming out and saying, hey, I like this team. Man, Brady won this time and that time. I'm a Brady fan, and now he's going over there. I'm, I'm with him because he's just he's awesome, and I'm a fan. You know, but what about when they're not winning? And so we end up doing this tendency seems to happen in entertainment. It happens in business. It happens in politics. It's hap- it happens all over the sphere of society and different pillars. Why? Because we like to back up winners. We have this innate tendency within us. And, and some of us who are loyal fans who have been there from the get-go when the times were tough, we kind of look at that and smile and smirk and say, yeah, 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 whatever. You're a bandwagon. But you know what? There's this tendency within humanity. I think it's based on this idea that there's a universal need within us to worship. We just, it's baked into us to worship, to, to lift something up, to be enamored by something in somebody or something greater than ourselves. And we long to worship it because it, it, it fills a need that's already in there. That's why we lift up, you know, make heroes and celebrities of ordinary people. That's why we can sit there and binge, you know, America's Got Talent and just be enamored at like the incredible talent that people have and the creativity that they have and and get excited about that. And then, you know, we'll start following people, become fans, because there's something within us that likes to just appreciate beauty and splendor and and, and ability and, and, and see somebody succeeding and winning. We like this. And this morning, I want us to just consider this idea that we're wired for worship. I'm reminded of a group thousands of years ago that, you know, they had this desire to lift up worship. And they they had to lift up worship in that moment outside the dusty streets of Jerusalem. In that crowd that day, interspersed in that group, I see that there were a bunch of loyal fans that were brimming with joy as they were literally seeing old-time prophecy unfolding before their eyes. You know, uh, reverberating within them and in front of them was the words of Zechariah. Rejoice greatly. See, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. As they are watching this unfold before them, joy is bursting within them. 
And then also within that crowd interspersed is the bandwagon fans. I feel like there's a group of people that they're just caught up in the moment. They, they feel the buzz in the air and the electricity in the atmosphere. And, you know, they, they hear the chatter that some change is near. Some, some king is appearing and approaching. Something is coming and they're in. That's all they need. What's the hubbub about? Let's get in on this crowd. Let's go into this parade. And they're oblivious to the king's nature. Completely oblivious to the, to the king's kingdom and the scope of, of his nature and his salvation. And nevertheless, though, this king who's riding in welcomes them no matter that. Despite that. On that day, a crowd received him as king. On the outskirts of Jerusalem. With palm branches swaying in the air and coats being laid before him. As he rode in on a donkey, there was a people who received him as a king. And he accepted their worship, though he knew that it would be fickle in its nature. He understood that even though it would quickly evaporate, he received the worship of that people. And I think there's a great fact there, a truth that is embedded in this, and that is this. Jesus Christ will rule as king wherever he is received as such. Jesus Christ will rule as king wherever he is received as a king. And that day, many people who had known him for a long time, and then others who had to ask their neighbor, hey, uh, who's this guy? Who's the dude on the donkey? Hey, why are we lifting our hands? You know, those who knew and awaited and were excited, and those who had to ask who he was, I feel like they who received him, though they had much to learn about him and his kingdom, Nevertheless, that day they received him and they might not have understood it. And so today I want us to consider ourselves here today. In this room, there's some people here who have been loyal fans. You've been serving Jesus and with him through thick and thin. You've been with them when things were extremely exciting in your lives and when you were in the valleys. And as the psalmist says, though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall not fear for you. You've been in that valley. You've been with him. And so maybe you're here today. And then there's some of us that were like, Jesus who? And we're just getting to know and getting to, to, to grow in our relationship or understanding or the concept of who Jesus was and what's going on. No matter where we find ourselves today, Jesus will rule as king wherever he is received as king. So, of course, whether we truly understand what that means and how it plays out in our lives practically... I want us to take a look here and just bring some clarity. I want us to explore this passage. And I'm here to bring you just a very practical message as we're preparing for Easter. I want you to just contemplate with me that scene on that dusty road. I want you to come into that city street. And I want you to just picture the crowds and picture that moment as Jesus came in on that Palm Sunday. Are we good? Amen. So Luke, 20, uh, Luke 19 Verse 29, let's explore. If you want to recognize Jesus as king, who he was, who he promised himself to be, if you want to receive him as king and serve him as your king, then I think that we need to do a few things. And we're going to read here just a little bit. Let's look at verse 29. When he, Jesus, drew near Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount that was called Olivet, or the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. 
If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said to him, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. The first thing that I am drawn to attention here as I read this passage this morning is that if we are to receive Jesus Christ as king and serve him as our king, then the first thing that we have to do as I look at the story is that we have to do as Jesus says. We have to do what Jesus says for us to do. We need to, in other words, be obedient to what he's asking of us. It says here that he sent two of his disciples on a strange little mission. Imagine Jesus today saying to you, I want you to leave here. I want you to drive all the way to Boston. As soon as you come you know, into, into the outskirts of the city, let's say you're taking Route 9 and you pass Brookline. And when you get into Boston proper, Massachusetts Ave, I want you to find there a Lexus that is parked on the side of the road. It's in front of this restaurant. And I want you to pick that Lexus up. And if the owner of that car says, hey, what are you doing taking my car? I want you to tell that owner that the master has need of your car how many of you guys are ready to go right now let's go do it like first of all there's a lot of cars <laughs> there's a lot of models and brands and and so many different cars and you know a boston's a big place you know there's going to be a lexus parked in the front of this restaurant on this street at this time and when i get there i have nothing to do with that car yet i'm gonna ask for it you know we read sometimes these things and we just kind of let it go right over our heads there's a strange mission that jesus sends these two go go to the village up the road untie the colt you'll find and bring it to me now we don't know which disciples jesus sent maybe he sent peter and john you know the inner crowd the inner three maybe he sent andrew and james i i don't know Maybe he sent the sons of thunder together. I, I don't know who he sent, but he sent them. And the Bible doesn't tell us. Not only does, doesn't it tell us who went, but it doesn't tell us, you know, how that went. You know, if I was being asked to go to Boston to pick up this Lexus that's going to be in front of this restaurant, you know, I'm not going to be asking a lot of questions on my way all the way to Boston. If I'm going with somebody beside me, hey, Rodrigo, um, you know what, dude, uh, seriously, how does he know that there's going to be a Lexus there? How does he know that there's going to be a donkey hanging out as soon as we enter into the village? How does he know? Did he go there? Did he scope it out first? Like, how does he know? And, and by the way, you know what? Are we just going to untie it and take it? Like, are you serious? Like, what if when we get there, you know, the owners, they start grilling us. What if when we get there, we meet a Karen and this Karen just starts reaming at us? You know, like what happens, you know, what happens if when we just say, hey, he has need of it, he didn't tell us anything else. What if they all of a sudden start getting aggressive? What do they call the cops? What, what are we going to do then? Like, what if the media shows up? What are we going to do? You know what? If, if we start a chase with the police coming after us, what are we going to do in that moment? I'd be asking all of these questions. I don't know about you. Maybe you guys are way super spiritual and full of faith and you can see the end from the beginning. I can't, but I'd be asking all these questions. Hey, what happens if uh, Karen takes a swing at us? You know what I'm saying? What am I to do then? I think he said something about turning the other cheek, but that's another story. 
You know, what, what are we going to do? I, I don't know. There is not much that is said, but what is said is this. I want you to go to the village. I want you to find the donkey there. I want you to untie it and bring it to me. You see, we tend to read the Bible as if the Bible is a play and the script is there. And the disciples just show, say, yes, Jesus, I'm going. I'm all excited. I have all faith. Everything is exciting and and everything's going to work out well. The Bible is not a, a, a book that is supposed to intimate to us that they had a script and they knew the outcome. Much like our own lives, how many of you know the end from the beginning? You know what's going to happen in your life tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen to me today. So we, we read the Bible and we think that, we, that they had all, this, all the information. They know the next page. We have the blessing of the Bible and the scriptures written down. We know what happened. We've got hindsight, 2020 vision. But they didn't. And so we also don't when it comes to our own lives. So sometimes God may say to you, hey, Mark, I want you to go over to this town. I want you to go pray for this person that you're going to find at this place. And we may say, Lord, what's going to happen? You know, if I do go, if I do step out in faith, is he going to, you know, I want you to go and do this and say this because there's going to be this person there behind the counter that you're going to deal with. I want you to go grab this and do this for me. I want you to go establish this for me. Why? Because it's going to create something. And we think that, you know what, that's way too much of an ask God. The disciples had the same thing. They didn't have a script. They didn't know what was going to happen. But listen to what the Apostle John says of this event. In verse 16 of chapter 12, John, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. See, we don't know what God is going to unfold in our lives. What he may be asking us may seem outside of our control or outside of our understanding. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts, declares the Lord. We may not understand it now, but when we go a couple of years past that moment, when we go even a couple of days past that moment, we start reflecting and thinking back and we start seeing the hand of God in our lives. We say, yes, that was declared in this book that he would do that for me, that he has a plan to prosper me and not to harm me, that he wants to do something through me, that he's prepared me ahead of time for good works. There is already things that have been spoken. Now it makes sense, but it didn't make sense in the moment. Any of you have ever had a moment that God asked you to do something that just did not make sense? And if, if you can't say yes in the affirmative, just wait. He will. Just wait. Just, just start praying. Just start saying, Lord, I make room for you to do whatever you want to do. And you're going to start seeing that he's going to ask you to do a few things that seem a little bit outside of, the, uh, of your comprehension. But look at this. They didn't know how it was going to end. They didn't know how it was going to play out, how it would turn out, if they were going to get beat up, if they're going to have, you know, the, the Roman soldiers chase them out of town as they're robbing or stealing this donkey. They don't know if they were going to walk back home without the donkey and show up to Jesus empty hand. They didn't know any of this. But what does the Bible tell us is that they simply did what Jesus said for them to do. Their simple obedience brought God glory. Look with me at verse 36 and beyond. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he, Jesus, was drawing near already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory on earth. 
See, if Jesus is king and he is, tell your neighbor, he's king. If Jesus is king and he is, then you could do no better than to follow the example of these disciples. When he asks you to do something, you just do it. Why? Because what if what you do will bring God incredible glory? If you are just obedient and you follow after what God is asking you to do, could it not open up not just in your own life something, but it could magnify a blessing in the lives of your community? As they were obedient to go grab the colt, Jesus then was able to sit on it and come in and the crowds and the people understood the moment. They realized the situation. Those who were loyal fans and those who were on the outskirts, they got caught up in the moment. But the bottom line was the obedience of two caused the praise of the crowd. The obedience of the two brought something into that city that day. Your obedience may not involve a donkey church. And for some of you, that's an incredible blessing. I know Kelly, for instance, she is so fearful of different animals. I don't know how you can have chickens and be afraid of them, right? But that, that was her. And so thank God that we do not have to have a donkey in our story. It may not involve a donkey in our story. But what is it that God is asking of you? He and you alone know what it involves. You and him alone know what it involves. And today, what is he asking of you? What is he requiring of you this week? What is God asking of you in 2022? What is he asking of you? Maybe you don't know right now, even as I say, you know, you could even say, I do know, Pastor Brian. Right now, as you're asking me what God might be involving, what God might be asking of me, maybe he's asking you to just follow after him in repentance and faith this year. Maybe Jesus is asking you to follow after him. Maybe for you, what is involved is just uh, forgiving somebody. Hello? Maybe for some of us here today, it might be to just take something on or maybe to let go of something. Maybe for some of us, what is involved is saying yes to something. And for others, it might be saying no to something else. You alone know what it involves. And you know that God has been tugging at your heart. Because he's written eternity in man's hearts. He has already put a conscience inside of us, an ability to connect with this Holy Spirit. And he's all the time talking. If we just take the time to listen and just tune ourselves into him, you already know what he might be asking of you. Thank God it's not a donkey, but it's something. What is it that he's asking of you? Whatever it is, you'll probably be amazed how your simple act of obedience how your simple act of obedience will bring glory to God, how you saying yes to him, how you saying no to something he's asking you to say no to, how that might open up a door to just bring him incredible glory and praise, just as it did in Jerusalem. There was a story of Mendelssohn who, who, who wrote um, incredible compositions and music. And this, this, one, this man, he one day visited the, the cathedral in Freiburg. And after hearing the, the sound of that great organ inside of that cathedral, he asked if he could play it. He went over to the organist and said, hey, can I play? this instrument and the organist was looking at him and jealous for his instrument he said no at first but then he gave in and he finally said fine I relent you can go ahead and touch it you can go ahead and play it and so he allowed the great German composer to step into that seat to sit down and start playing that organ and as that man stood there bewildered in moments completely in ecstasy of delight as he heard the incredible songs and the notes and the crescendos that Hendel, Hendelson was, uh, uh, Mendelssohn was playing. 
This man finally comes over, touches him on the shoulder and says, Sir, what is your name? To which the composer replies, it's Mendelssohn. And he says, oh my Lord, I nearly refused to let Mendelssohn touch this organ. Think about that. A man with incredible talent and ability who's written so many scores and has used his talents to bring glory to God in so many ways. He almost did not get to touch that organ. And how many of us as believers, how many of us as just humans, we look at God who wants to touch our lives and he's telling us to go do something and be something and believe something and try something and we say, God, we're not going to allow you to touch our lives. We don't want to do as you say. We're not going to obey you because we think better or otherwise or we're afraid. But if we were just to let God do as he wants to do within us and through us, if we would just say yes to what he's saying, if we would just do what he's asking us to do how many beautiful songs will be be sung how many notes of incredible glory will be praised will be lifted up to god how many incredible moments of testimonies will god receive glory for because he worked through us when we did what he said if Jesus is to be king in our lives, we got to do as he says. But secondly, as I look at the scripture, if we want to receive him as our king, some of us are looking, maybe I'm a fan, maybe I'm a real follower, maybe whatever it is, wherever you are in the spectrum, you got to first do as he says. But secondly, we have to feel as Jesus feels. I see in this passage a section here that you know not many people talk about and other gospel writers don't talk about as often. It tells us in chapter 19 of Luke, if we just keep reading a little bit on, verse 41 onwards. And when he drew near the, and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear, and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Something that happened on this day, many of those crowds did not see. As they're busy just lifting up praise and glorifying him. And there's the patriotism of the moment. That there's palm branches being waved. People are praising. They are cheering and they're excited. But they're excited for themselves. And what this means for them as he is stepping in. They're excited because this is a king supposedly that is coming in. And they miss. In that excitement they miss the tears of Jesus. The Bible tells us that he cried. Only Luke records this. And when Jesus drew near the saw the city, he wept over it. If you've been to Israel and you've stepped on the Mount of Olives, you'll know that in that place, I remember being there a couple years ago, you can see from not even all the way up on the Mount of Olives, you can look out and you can see the old city of Jerusalem. You can see the splendor of God's Temple Mount. You can see it. It's a beautiful sight and it's, it's filled with emotion. It's a great place to pray. It's an awesome space. You can see all that stuff and the memories that are there and, and all the history that went through. You can just picture it and start seeing it in that moment. And so when Jesus steps up into that place, 
He's not excited about what's going on. And he's not just looking at the fanfare of the people. He's looking at the entire city and he starts to weep. How many of you guys have seen uh, people crying on the news or in the court? And there's something called crocodile tears. Have you heard about that? Where somebody is just crying because they're sorry they got caught. They're crying because uh, they want to garner sympathy. They're crying. It's not really genuine. Here is Jesus in this moment. The word that is used for wept is not the words for a crocodile tear. It's not the, the words for, hey, there's something in my eye. You know, like uh, my eyes are getting glassy. It's, it, it's getting teary. No, the word that is used for wept in this passage, it speaks of an ugly cry. Some of you guys, when you cry, you cry like it's the most beautiful, you know, noble, holy thing in the world. Like it's just awesome to watch, you know. It's like a movie. It's so spectacular. Man, when I cry, when I, when I get before the Lord and I'm praying and I'm crying and the emotions are getting me and God is just speaking to my heart, there is snot everywhere. It's gross. Like if I had any type of situation of like, you know, bad immunity going on within me, it's, it's now all over the place. It's not, it's not pretty. So, um, you know, I try to contain those, those types of prayers when I'm praying because I don't want to infect everybody else if I've got anything going on. But um, it's an ugly cry. Some of us, we're ugly criers. It's okay. You can admit it. You know, you're in the house of God. You can just say, Lord, thank you for making me an ugly crier. It's all good. It's a messy cry. It's, it's a deep cry. It's something that is just convulsive. It's, it's, it's just something that is filled with emotion and passion. And, and things are happening as we cry. It's a type of cry as Jesus wept. It's a type of weeping that the Jewish mothers wept. When Herod the Great, when the prophecy of Jesus Christ was being fulfilled, and they said, today a king was born. And Herod, upon hearing that, he says, oh yeah, I'm king in Israel. So you know what? Every child that is of male sex who is under the age of two, I want you to go and kill them off. Because if there is a king that has been born, he's going to be taken out right now. The cry that those mothers cried as their sons were being murdered, that is the ugly kind of cry that Jesus is crying here. It's the cry that they were hearing in the house of Jairus as his child had died. It's the cry that you hear from the widow of Nain. It's the cry that the sisters of Lazarus had when they were crying over the death of their brother. It's not a pretty crocodile tear or movie worthy of an Oscar type of cry. It was a ugly, desperate, gut-wrenching type of cry. The kind when you bury a child. God forbid that any of us have to go through that. But it was that type of cry. And when Jesus cried this, I want you to understand, he's not crying this cry because of the fact that he knows what awaits him on Friday. Can you just stop and think about that for the moment? Like we have movies. We watched the movie here yesterday, The Passion of Christ. It was a great time. It's a powerful movie to see all that Jesus suffered on Good Friday and that he was willing to lay down his life. He is not crying over what is being reserved and, and, and set apart for him in just a few days. He's looking at Jerusalem and he says, you do not know the hour of your visitation. He's looking and seeing that just in about 37 years or so, 
In 70 AD, the Roman emperor Titus is going to come in and he's going to ransack because there's going to be a Jewish leader that raises up. There's going to be a revolt that comes. And Rome is not about letting revolts happen on their watch. And so there's going to be a revolt that happens. And those who feel like they're, they're rising up against Rome and Titus is going to come in and he's going to completely level the city. He's going to send his bombs and his, his warriors and he's going to ransack and he's going to completely destroy the Temple Mount. He's going to ransack and besiege the city. And so Jesus can picture that just a few years ahead and he starts to mourn and cry bitterly for them. Can you stop and think about that for a moment? It's Easter season. We're going to celebrate the fact that Jesus came. He laid his life down. But then on Sunday morning, praise God, he took it back up again. We're going to praise him for that. We're going to celebrate the reality of that in our lives. But can you stop and just picture that it's not about him suffering and him uh, being worried about himself, but he is crying over his people that are lost. How many of our loved ones, our neighbors, our family members, our spouses are living in abuse, living in addiction, living in bondage, living in hopelessness, living in a place where they have no freedom, they have no hope. And Jesus is crying over them. If we are to receive Jesus Christ as our king, church, we need to start developing some compassion and seeing the hurt in people's lives around us. And we have to start praying and praising God and asking him for eyes, for empathy, for a heart that is, that is broken for the things that breaks his because there is a world that is lost and dying around us and we need to declare his goodness to them. Some of us, we are crying before the Lord and the only source, the only impetus, the only motivation to our cry is the woe is me, my situation. That was not even on his radar that day. He had that in the garden. He dealt with it. Now he is here. He is here. He's going to deal with that in the garden. He's going to take care of all that. But right now he's looking at the crowd. So friend, I want you to just think about what is going on around you. How's the world behaving around you? What's it like in your family? What's it like inside of your situation? See, Jesus cried because he had compa compassion. I was reading a story uh, in the uh, Pentecostal Evangel, and there is a story of this woman, Patricia Miller. She was an ER nurse. And the longer she worked, I don't know, maybe there's some doctors in here, some nurses in here that you guys can confirm this, but the longer she worked in the ER, the more desensitized she became to her patients. The longer she spent time around sickness and disease and pain and hurt and tragedy, all of that, the longer she was there, the more callous she became to the real needs of her patients. Five years of emergency room exposure took a toll on her emotionally. Then God intervened in her life. As I was reading, she recalls, I was registering a young woman who had just overdosed on drugs. She had overdosed on drugs and attempted to commit suicide. And her mother sat before me in the intake. Her mother was completely unkempt and completely bleary-eyed. She had been awoken at night by a police officer who had begged her to come to the hospital. So she had gotten up out of bed. She was completely exhausted, completely unput together, and she showed up at that hospital, and now she was speaking to Patricia in a whisper. Hurry up, I said to myself as she slowly gave the information, and my impatience became more and more raw as I was taking in all that information and finishing up my report. Then I jumped up and went to the machine, to the computer, to start copying everything and doing everything on there, and God spoke to me. 
You didn't even look at her. You didn't even see the color of her eyes or, you know, what's going on. If it's her hair in a bun, you didn't even look at her. And I felt his grief for the woman and her daughter. And then I bowed my head saying, Lord, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. And I sat by that distraught woman and I covered her hands with mine. And I looked into her eyes with all the love that God could give me in that moment. And it started flooding through me. And I said, I care. I care for you. Don't give up. She wept and she poured out her heart and she started sharing her experience and her story. For years, she had dealt with a rebellious daughter that was just going a different road and she was a single mom trying to keep everything together. And finally, after the weeping stopped, she thanked her for listening. She thanked me, a woman of cold-hearted feelings. She thanked me. So Patricia recalls and says that my attitude changed that night. My God who so loved the world broke that self-imposed barrier within me around my heart. Now he could reach out not only to me, but to a lost and hurting woman in front of me. Church, that's a scene that we need to remember. I don't know who you need to invite to Easter service to hear the greatest news that has ever been shared. That there was a price that was paid for us and there was a king that was able that was worthy enough to take back his life and satisfy that price of wrath and bring about to us salvation reconciliation with God there is a world that is outside of our own little circles our own little priorities our own needs there's a world that is desperate for what you have amen It just breaks my heart that we could do so much for ourselves, but when it comes to doing something for somebody else, we have second guesses. And God is always, if we look at the the story of Luke chapter 19, he is sending us on these weird little missions. He's sending us into these places we don't know the end from the beginning. We don't know how it's going to play out. We don't have the script. But if we were just to be obedient and do as he says, and then we would say, Lord, I make room for you to feel what you feel. Help me to see what you see in this situation and moment. I believe that God's going to get the incredible amount of glory. He's going to operate and do things in our lives in the people around us why because he's going to flood us with compassion to love as he loved the world that is right before us so if jesus is going to be king he has to see us do as he says but he has to also feel see us feel as he feels and finally if we look at this passage we have to share who jesus is if we look at the other gospel accounts of the palm sunday story If you go to the book of Matthew and you check out his narrative and you find him speaking, it tells us here in Matthew chapter 21, verses 10 through 11, after receiving the cheers, after the fanfare of the people, the palm branches are up, the the, the cloaks are on the ground, he's coming on the donkey and it's an incredible moment, charged and passionate. There's patriotism going through. There's there's messianic uh, anticipation and overtones happening. There's all of these incredible things as people are crying out he says this in Matthew 21 and when he entered Jerusalem the whole city was stirred up saying who is this and the crowd said this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee when Matthew reports that the city was stirred 
that the city was shaken. He uses the word seo. It's the same word that comes, that gives us the other word mean, meaning seismic. Seismic, a shifting. The earth is actually moving. There is a tectonic plate shifting. There is something happening. There is a swelling that is going on. The momentum is there. And so as the city is stirred... This is not just the people that are fans, the ones who are followers. This is a city that is shaken. It's the same word that we're going to see later on in the Gospel of Matthew where he said the moment that Jesus died on the cross, when he said, Lord, it is finished, to you I commend my spirit. And when he breathed his last, the Bible tells us that the earth shook. It's the same word, and the rocks were split. The temple veil was cut in half. The temple mount was split. There, there was things that happened on that moment. There was a shaking in that day. It's the same words as Jesus is coming in on the donkey, and the city is being shaken. They're being stirred. The city was prepared. That's what would happen. That's what should happen. If we stop and think about this, if Jesus is reigning in our hearts and we're doing as he says, if we're feeling as he feels, then you know what, what's going to happen? We're going to cause our lives to be so overflowing with his presence and, and power, with his move and his will, that outside of us, things are going to start getting shaken and things that are lodged within us are going to shake out and come out and they're going to start loosening up their grip within us and we're going to be able to live and move and be as Jesus declares us to be and the world outside of us is watching and they're observing. And at that moment, they start asking us, who is this? What is this? How did you do this? This is what was happening with the apostles in the day of Pentecost as they are praising God. They're like, what is this? What's going on? These men drunk? What's going on here? But the power of God, as they were just doing as God told them to do to worship, as they were feeling uh, that anticipation and that promise being fulfilled within them, and they saw what God wanted them to do, and they started doing what he asked them to do, the world was shaking around around them. That's what they were waiting for. They were waiting for him to shake the city and now it's here. They're waiting to see is this man who he says he is? And they're asking, who is he? And they're saying, he is Jesus, the prophet. He is the man who was to come. He is the promised Messiah. He's the one that Zechariah pro proclaimed. He's the one that Jeremiah spoke about. He's the one that Isaiah preached about. He is the one that was promised to us. And let me just tell you, church, if you think that this is only something that was reserved for back then on that day, you're mistaken. Because if you stop and consider those that we have to have compassionate eyes to see, believe you me, they are watching you and I. This world is desperate for an answer. Hearts of man are inclined to eternity. We are enamored by the spiritual. We want to, 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 to see something that is greater and bigger than ourselves. We are divine, designed and developed for worship. It's there and we just want something that is worthy of that worship. If we can't find it in the right place, we will turn to something that is wrong and we will incline our worship into the wrong spaces. We are desperate for it in the world is just the same they are waiting to see if you will do as jesus says for you to do if you will feel as jesus tells you to feel the world is waiting to see if we will be obedient in that and they're waiting with the question who is this 
Who did this for you? Who set you free, Mike? Who healed you, Janet? Who set you free from that issue? Who opened that door for you, Jose? Who did this? Who did that? Who is this person? They are waiting to see if the claims, if the praises. There's a people that goes to church every Sunday. My neighbors, they sit outside of my house. Every, I told Natalia, it's incredible. They're there in the middle of winter. They go every single day. They'll sit on their porch with their jackets, with, with whatever. They'll have a cup of coffee. They'll talk, and they, it's a couple. And they just do this every day. They have to go outside. It's like they have to have a quota of being outside. I find it incredible. But every single morning when I'm leaving to go to church, they're out there. And I, I wonder. I haven't had a chance yet. To, to develop a, to broach a conversation with them. It's just pleasantries at this point, but I, I need to make it a point to step over there and go say hello. I wonder, every single morning, they see us getting ready to go to church on Sunday morning. Like, where are these people going early morning, you know? Can you stop and think about this? There's people watching you. You're going to that place again, huh? You're going to that church. Oh, it's Tuesday night. You're going to that prayer thing again. Oh, you're going to that small group thing again. Okay, all right. What's going on? You guys go where? I go to the football game or the, or, or the movie theaters on Friday, but you guys, you go to youth group? What is that? Why is that? You know, there's a world that is watching. And you know what they're watching for? To see if the praises that we sing are actually genuine. They're watching to see that if the beliefs that we declare that we have are actually playing out in our lives. They're watching to see that the hope that we proclaim to have, if it actually meets the rubber in the road in the moment of our pain and our sorrow, they're waiting to see if we are actually gonna back up the things that we say. And we're actually gonna not be perfect, okay, because no one is, but they're waiting for something that is genuine. Why? Because of the fact that they want some of it. I wanted some of it. When I stepped into this church building on a Tuesday night prayer, and I remember getting together in that all-purpose room, there was about four or five people sitting around a circle, and it was a prayer meeting. And that was what prayer was. Sit around, there's connection cards, people wrote out their prayer requests on a Sunday morning, and now this faithful group of people were going to get together and pray. And they're going to pray and be faithful to, to ask God to move on the behalf of these prayers and these needs, these real tension points and struggles and when I stepped into that room out of work and you know going through a very difficult time emotionally in my life and going through you know some relational challenges and things were all broken and uh, things were not going to be reconciled in the moment in the way that I was living it was a desperate time in my life and as I sat there and I started hearing words of prayer and the pastor who was there who was preaching and sharing a small devotion with us filled with love despite her history despite what happened in her past and the broken relationship that she had and all of that I was watching and I was just like can that really be true can that truly be something that is possible for other people could I possibly tap into what she has because she is not bitter she is excited she has hope and she has a future I feel like my life will never be the same again and I will never get rid of this emotion of depression and this feeling of brokenness and this stigma that I feel is right over my forehead that is called divorce I feel like I'm never going to step out of this but I heard her prayers and I'm like man I wonder if it's true. And that kept me coming back. I just want to see if it's true. Because you know what? It, if it's not true, it's going to show. If it's not true, there's going to be a moment of, of weakness where she won't be able to keep it up. 
you know, where, where something will slip. And you know what? The world is watching, church. Your neighbors are watching. Your colleagues are watching. Your family's watching. Your kids are watching. Your parents are watching. He is watching. Is what I say, what I've done, what I've reserved for you, is it true? Is it possible? And as we prepare for Easter, I want you to understand if we just start sharing what he is, we may not know how to do it perfectly. We may not know how to share and answer every question, but that's okay. Let every other question, let every other obstacle, whatever it is that hinders us, that, that, that we might feel like is not what allows us to go in the first place. We're not worthy, we're not capable, we're not articulate, we're not whatever, we're not credible, whatever it may be, allow that to be the springboard to say, you know what, I just need to find out just a little bit more about that then. Why don't you come with me and we can figure it out together? But I trust and I believe that there is something here, that he is the king that he said he was. He came in riding on the donkey to declare peace. Although they did not understand that it wasn't peace civilly, but it was a peace spiritually. He was coming in to establish a kingdom that was not of this earth, but one that would never, ever be canceled. One that would reign forever. Are we sharing that this morning? I don't know where you stand today. I want you to stand with me and invite the team to come on back. I don't know where you stand, whether you are a person who sees the fanfare of Palm Sunday and you are excited about it because it was a triumphant moment. You've been a follower of Jesus. You understand the overtones and the prophecies and everything that happened and everything that was declared to happen. And it's incredible how Jesus fulfills all the details which we didn't even get into today. Or maybe you're just a person that you've been watching this group of Christians. You've been coming to a church service. You're watching online today and you're thinking, you know what, who is this Jesus? What is all the hubbub about him? What is all the fanfare about him? What is all this commentary about him? Let me just tell you that today can be a day that you change your understanding of that question. It could be a day that you anchor yourself deeper in your faith towards him and your excitement for him as you prepare for Easter. I want you to know if you've never accepted King Jesus in your heart, he will come and reign wherever he is received as king. He can reign in your heart today no matter your apprehensions. He can come reign in your heart today no matter how long you've known him or how little you've known him. If you've never accepted King Jesus' grace, his goodness, his faithfulness, his love, if you've never experienced the forgiveness of God, then why are you going to, you know, put off joy a day longer? You can change that this morning. As you close your eyes and just contemplate, make this a personal moment right now. You don't have to wait any longer. Why would you wait another day? Why would you put it off? If he's been asking to reign in your heart and reign in your life, why deny him one more moment? There's so much glory to be experienced in his presence. There's so much joy that is available for him. There's so much provision that is available in him. There's so much assurance and peace as he is stepping in to be with you in his presence. You may have come to believe that God loves other people, that he's for other people, that he works in other people's lives, that he cares for other people. However, today I can confidently tell you that that is not true. Yes, he loves other people, but let me just tell you, he loves you. God cares for you. God has not passed you by. He is not just concerned about his own longevity. 
vitality, situation, what he has to accomplish, what he already finished. He cares for you. As he looks over Jerusalem and he looks over the people, he looks over the crowd, he cares for you. He loves you. He delights in you. So I'd like to give you an opportunity here today to just say, Lord, I want you to reign in my life as king. I want you to come into my heart and into a relationship within me. In Romans 10, 9, it says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. I want to invite you to just pray a simple prayer with me and begin this journey, begin this process, reaffirm this prayer within you. I want you to pray it out loud as a proclamation of faith. I want you to pray it as a declaration of your hope in Christ, in God and God alone. And all of you who've already prayed this prayer, you've been fan followers, you've been people consistent, you've been with him for some time. I want you to pray this prayer too. I want you to publicly say it out loud. Why? Because I want you to allow others to know that they are not in this alone if they're making this decision for the first time. That we're in this together, that we are a community of believers, that we are the crowd today receiving him as our king. And so I invite you to repeat after me out loud. Here it is. Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world that he gave his life to forgive my sins and was raised from the grave so that I may have life. I receive your grace by faith. Come into my life. I will follow you and say amen. Can we praise God for right now this moment? As some people are praying that for the first time. Let's be encouraged and celebrate the fact that God is here. He is for us. As he wants to be our king, if we do as he says, if we feel as we feel and we share what he's done, that God will establish something and change things within our homes, our communities, our schools, within our families, within our world. He is for you. He is not against you. So as we wrap up our service in praise and worship, I want to encourage you that our altars are open that we are here to pray with you and encourage you and just reaffirm what God has already spoken over you and what he declares of you. Come and praise him and worship him and be encouraged with your brothers and sisters. Raise your hands with me as a sign of faith. Father, I thank you for your church. I thank you for your people. I pray, Lord, as they step out, Lord Jesus, in anticipation for the miracle of Good Friday and the miracle of Easter, I pray, God, that you would speak lives. Uh, words of life inside of them that you would lord god highlight men and women and people that they know that need to hear your gospel that will be lord god radically changed and transformed by the grace of your love this easter season may the love of god the fellowship of the holy spirit and the, the the grace of the father be upon each and every one in jesus name amen god bless you today hallelujah